Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. As we adapt in this season of pandemic, we are meeting in our house churches in person and online as a primary space for worship, formation, connection, and encouragement. Teachings like this are one way we engage with scripture, seeking to become more like Christ. These teaching podcasts also serve as a conversation starter for deeper engagement at House Church. We're glad you're listening. Welcome this morning as we kick off Advent. Uh, it's it's a just a full season. It's a full season. Um, and, and our theme this year for Advent is Advent Reoriented. Uh, recognizing that over the last 20 months, over the last two years, that there has been much in our world that has been disoriented and disorienting. And I'm not going to rehash that. I think you all know what has disoriented you. Um, And if you want to name that to yourself, um, you can name that. Um, But also recognizing that Advent itself, the holiday season, can also be a bit disorienting or maybe very, very disorienting. It's a a busy season. There's hustle, there's bustle, there's uh, keeping up with holiday traditions, uh, decorating, gift giving, could be dealing with family tensions, maybe grief uh, over the loss of loved ones or not being able to spend the holidays together. Anxiety uh, runs rampant in this season. Um, Difficulties with finances. This This is a really, really tough season for so many people. Uh, and it can be disorienting. And so as we enter in this season, we want to be people who are reoriented to what the season is truly about, reorienting ourselves, entering into this story once again with our eyes squarely fixed on the beauty, the wonder, the mystery, the significance, the world-changing reality of God's activity in sending his Son Jesus to the earth to seek and to save and to usher in the reign of God. The the birth narratives in the Gospels, particularly in the books of Matthew and Luke, continue to use this word, behold, behold, as they're telling this story about Jesus, behold. And so as we reorient ourselves, I want to invite you to slow down and to behold. Behold means to not just see and look, but to pay attention, to give intentional attention to what is happening, what is God up to. And so we want this season to be a time where we reorient our hope, we reorient our joy, and we reorient our peace and our love. Fixed squarely on Jesus who initiated these things. As, as Rick and Becky read, Advent means coming or arrival. And so in this season, this is a season where we look back and celebrate the coming of Jesus as a baby who screamed just like that. The coming of Jesus as a baby, but he was the long-awaited, the long-prophesied about, the long-hoped-for Messiah. God become flesh, become human born to a lowly teenage mother and an unexpecting adoptive peasant carpenter dad. So we look back at that story, and and it's amazing. 
And I hope that we never get tired of reading that story, of sharing that story with one another, because there's something profound about that story, that God would take on human flesh. What kind of God does that? But it's also a season where we look forward to his coming again, to the fullness of his kingdom, the fullness of our salvation, a new heaven, a new earth. When all will be made new, when all will be made right, we live in whole wholeness, in peace, in shalom, in perfect communion with the good creator father, the beloved redeemer son, and the powerful sanctifying Holy Spirit. So this is a season where we look back and we also look forward in order to reorient us in the present. And so it's fitting that we begin this season with hope, the theme of hope. Now, the biblical notion of hope is not just merely wishful thinking, but it it means to wait. But not just wait, but wait expectantly. Wait with anticipation. And Renew has often talked about Advent being the season where we stand in our tippy toes looking and waiting, expectant, anticipating. There's tension because we're expectant something good to come. And it's waiting for God to act, waiting for God to fulfill promise. Hope is, is future-oriented, as we just talked about. We look ahead, because you can't hope for what you already have or what has already happened. But hope is rooted in memory, the memory of who God is, of what God has already done, and what God has promised to do. Like I said, hope is not mere wishful thinking, but is waiting for God to do what God does and what God has promised to do. And it's not merely passive waiting, because we're invited into this story. I want to read from Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, if you have your Bibles and want to follow along. Give a little introduction. So this, Luke 19, verses 11 through 27, this is not a traditional Advent text. Um, but I, I think it's fitting for a couple of reasons. One is uh, we've been talking over the last month or so about this story uh, about blind Bartimaeus and his encounter with Jesus. And we've been looking in the book of Mark. Well, in the book of Luke, this passage actually comes shortly after Jesus' encounter with Bartimaeus. Uh, there, it's, it's Bartimaeus, and then Jesus has this encounter with Zacchaeus. You may be familiar with that story. And then he tells this parable as he's in Jericho, nearing Jerusalem. Um, so it's fitting in that way because it follows what we've already been talking about, just in a different book. But it's also fitting for Advent because it's a, it's a parable that Jesus tells regarding his second coming and the coming of the fullness of God's kingdom. Reading in again Luke 19, starting at verse 11. Actually, I'm going to start at 10 because verse 11 says, While they were listening to this, so while they were listening to what? Jesus said to him, Today, to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once or immediately. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. 
So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a small, very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minus. Sir, they replied, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given, but as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Such a pleasant ending to that parable. I want to just start by saying I'm pretty confident that this is not a story about stewardship. This is not a parable about stewardship. Uh, And you you may be familiar with the parable that's actually very similar um, that's written in Matthew. And maybe you've heard teachings about uh, this parable that do talk about stewardship. And stewardship is a very important thing. Uh, and, and Jesus has a lot to say about stewarding our resources and how uh, a kingdom ethic should look in stewarding our resources. But I don't think this parable is about stewardship. Uh, and here's why. First is the immediate context. Verse 11, it tells us why Jesus is telling this parable. He says, it says, he was near Jerusalem And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So that's why he's telling them this. Because they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. That gives us a clue that he's telling a parable to let them know the kingdom of God is not going to appear at once. It's not going to look like that. Second is the broader scriptural context. The description of money in this parable and how it is used to gain more wealth and more power at the expense of others is completely contradictory to everything else Jesus has talked about money up to this point and how he's interacted with people about money and wealth. So in chapter 12, if we go back to chapter 12, Jesus is telling his followers, sell your possessions and give, give to the poor. In chapter 16, we have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And if you're not familiar with that story, it doesn't end well for the rich man. 
when Lazarus, who is poor, finds himself in the kingdom of heaven. In chapter 18, Jesus encounters the rich young ruler who is seeking eternal life and is following the commandments. And Jesus says, you're close to the kingdom of heaven. The one thing you lack is that money is an idol for you. I want you, your possessions are an idol. I want you to sell them, give to the poor, and follow me. And then in chapter 19, right before this parable is the story of Jesus encountering Zacchaeus, a tax collector who is basically one of the servants in this parable who's taking that mine and saying, ah, I could make a lot more money with this by charging exorbitant taxes people. But Zacchaeus, in his encounter with Jesus, repents and says, That's, I'm going to give back if I've cheated anyone. And so this, the, the way money is talked about in this parable doesn't match up with any of those previous encounters on money. So that's the second reason why I don't think this is about stewardship. The last reason is because of historical context. And so this, what Jesus is telling in this parable is actually exactly what happened several times in Jerusalem and Judea. So Herod the Great, who died right around the time of Jesus' birth, Herod the Great, who was great for some reasons and very not great for many more reasons, uh, but he, he was opposed by the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. There were lots of people in Jerusalem who did not want him to be in charge. Uh, and before he was made king, they actually put him on trial uh, with the charge of murder. And he escaped because he brought a whole bunch of bodyguards with him, a bunch of, uh, yeah, well-armed. And, and so he made it out of that trial without uh, any conviction. Uh, and then in, in around year 40 BC, he went to Rome to say, hey, can you give me the kingdom? Can you give me the kingdom of Judea? And Antony and the Roman Senate declared him king of Judea, despite much opposition to his rule. And, as, and when he returned to, to Jerusalem, Judea, to Judea, guess what he did? Killed everybody who opposed him. That was Herod the Great. Herod's sons, Archelaus and Antipas, upon his death in 4 BC, very similar. In fact, people think that uh, the story of Archelaus and what Archelaus did is, is so close to this parable, that's probably exactly what Jesus is referring to. Uh, but Archelaus and Antipas, they wanted control of this. Archelaus was as cruel and greedy as his dad. Um, he had overseen the slaughter of 3,000 people in the temple precinct, but he wanted to be ruler. Uh, so he went to Rome to appeal to Caesar to receive the kingdom. And the Jews sent a delegation to oppose Archelaus before Caesar, but Caesar appointed Herod Archelaus as tetrarch over Judea and Edomia. And so we have historical precedent. This actually happened a third time after Jesus died. Same thing. You want to be ruler, you go to Rome, you get their permission, you get their declaration that, yes, you are the king, you receive the kingdom. And when you get back, you can do whatever you want to those who opposed you as long as it's working out for Rome. So like I said, I don't think this is about stewardship of money. But if it's not about stewardship of our money, what is it about? It's a parable contrasting kings and kingdoms. 
It's a parable contrasting kings and kingdoms. And it's a parable that says, wait, you can expect more of the same of the kingdoms of this world. What you've experienced with the rulers and the powers that be, you can expect that to continue. But my kingdom is not a kingdom like that, and I am not that kind of king. The kingdoms of this world are greedy and cruel. Wealth and power will continue to corrupt, but you are to be oriented to a different kingdom, to my way of being king. Do not be disoriented by the politics of this world. Do not be oriented by the greed for wealth and power that corrupts this world. Do not live in fear of the powers of this world and the powers that be in this world. Do not be disoriented by fear. The kingdom you are part of as my followers is much better. Follow my way. Jesus later said, the kings of the Gentiles, the rulers of this world, lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. The kingdom of God is in your midst, Jesus said. It is in you. It is among you. So even though we live in the midst of the kingdom of this world, we are oriented to a different king and to a different kingdom. And so we hope for a different kind of king and a different kind of kingdom. And while we wait, while we hope, he has shown us and taught us how to live the reality of his kingdom, even in the midst of a broken and disoriented world. That is the story of Christmas. What kind of king is Jesus? What kind of God is Jesus? The kind of God who gives up his throne in heaven, humbly comes to the earth as a baby. The kind of king, the kind of God who came to serve rather than to be served, to use his power to heal, to save, to redeem. And the kind of king who lays down his life offering it as a sacrifice for the salvation and redemption of his people. You may not be familiar with those Herods or much of their story, but much of what they have built has crumbled. And kingdoms have come and kingdoms have gone. But church, we're part of a much bigger story, a much better story of an eternal kingdom. In Psalm 145, the psalmist writes, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And I don't know if you caught this in the verses that the Vasos read earlier, this powerful in Isaiah for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
Herod's government came to an end. It got replaced by a different government. Jesus' government, Jesus' kingdom has been increasing ever since he left earth. And it's a different kind of kingdom. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. We're part of that story. We are part of that increase as we follow Jesus in his way. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Jesus may not be here, but he is continuing to establish and uphold his kingdom. Is that not good news? That's good news. That is our hope, right? That Jesus is establishing and upholding his kingdom, and we get to be part of it as people who embody hope as we live in the way of Jesus, as we live as people who serve with humility, who are generous with our love, who are radical with our grace, who forgive offenses, who seek to love even our enemies, who seek better paths. And so this season, we reorient ourselves by the past, reminding ourselves who God is, how God has acted, who Jesus was, how he came, how he lived, what he taught, how he died, how he rose again. And we reorient ourselves to the future, God's future, and what the fullness of his kingdom looks like. And we look to participate in what God is doing, pulling that future into the present. I just want to leave with two questions. How does your hope need to be reoriented? Are you hoping in the powers of this world? Are you hoping in money, uh, political power? Are you hoping in, in idols? How does your hope need to be reoriented? Are you hoping in your spouse or your parents or your kids? How does your hope need to be reoriented? And the second question is, how does your life, how does your everyday life need to be reoriented around the hope of your faith, around this hope of a radically different king and a radically different kingdom? So I want to encourage you to reorient hope this week. I want to pray and just invite us to listen, to behold Jesus for a minute and just listen to him with those questions. Jesus, how do you want to reorient my life according to your way? How do you want me to reorient the hope of your kingdom coming in me and around me and through me? So before I pray, here's just a few ideas about what this might look like. First, real simple, read the birth narratives in this season and just behold them. 
Behold what's in there. These birth narratives, especially in Luke, are saturated with hope. Saturated with hope. From Zechariah and Elizabeth, Simeon, Anna, the shepherds, these wise men, is saturated with hope. And, and one of my favorite lines in the, in the familiar carol, uh, O Holy Night, is the thrill of hope, right? Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. So, so read those birth narratives. Soak yourselves in them and let the hope that's in there saturate your soul. Uh, second, read 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter. It is also a book that is saturated with hope, but Peter is, is writing to Christians who are living in the midst of a kingdom that is radically different than the kingdom that they have been called, that they have been chosen to participate in. And he says, Jesus is the living hope for you. And this is what it looks like to live out that hope. Some other ideas, write down ways God has acted in history and in your life. We talked about hope being rooted in memory. So if we remind ourselves of what God has done, maybe you've already written those down, then go back and read those to remind yourselves of what God has done, how God has shown up for you. Another suggestion, create something, a poem, a painting, a sculpture, a photograph, collage, story, song, something you create envisioning the living hope of Jesus and his coming kingdom in your life. The other suggestion is come up with one to three simple, practical ways that you can practice the hope of your salvation, the hope of Christ's kingdom. Uh, a year, About a year ago, um, I shared this before, but because of Renew Seeds of Joy Fund, I was able to uh, bless my neighbor uh, who had lost her job and wasn't sure how she was going to pay her rent. Um, we were able as a church to pay the rent for her. Uh, and then we, we had a snowstorm in there, and I went over, and, and just simple act of, of serving, uh, I shoveled her, her sidewalk. And she came out, and she just made this comment to me. She said, you've, you've restored my hope in humanity. And I know paying somebody's rent is a pretty big thing, but shoveling somebody's sidewalk is a pretty little thing. And yet, it restored hope. And this is who we are called to be as people, people who are redeemed by Christ. And so there is hope because we follow that kind of king. So one to three simple practical ways that you can practice. All right, I said I was going to pray. I have one more thing that I want to say before I pray. Uh, and that is I want to say just a huge Tremendous thank you to you all, the Renew community, for embodying hope for my, me and my family. I do this every time. I was going to try not to cry this time. But um, as you all know, that baby that was crying earlier is, is Oliver, He's my son, who was born September 1st. Um, <laughs> talk about a child of hope. Um, but it has been a rough three months. But you all... I want to say thank you for following the way of the king in serving me and loving me and my family in this season. From meals, from 
gosh, <laughs> taking care of, of Dan and Tristan, providing childcare, providing play dates for us, coming over, going on walks, checking in with phone calls and texts. Uh, people generously, generously, generously giving to help cover hospital expenses. Like, this is a story of hope for me. And I want to say thank you. <laughs> Buying diapers and formula, clothes. <laughs> Even the smallest thing of providing a little bit of syrup and a little bit of butter. I want to say thank you. This is the story of hope. This is who we are as people. People who write a different story. A radically different king and a radically different kingdom. So thank you. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we confess that sometimes we... We say, oh, we've heard this story before. I know this story like the back of my hand, and, and it's great that we do, but we want to invite you in this season to show yourself to us afresh. Help us to behold you in this season. And as we behold you, would you reorient us to follow you as our true king? as our Savior, as our Redeemer, as our Lord. And so, Jesus, in this, in this minute, I, I want to invite you to speak to us. Speak to our hearts about how you want to reorient us today, in the week to come, and in this Advent season. Jesus, reorient our hope in you. You are our king who has come and who is coming. And while we wait, you have given us your Holy Spirit who is continuing to increase your kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with righteousness and justice. Help us to follow your path, to follow your way, the way of Jesus. And when we stray from that path, I pray that you would reorient us and draw us back to live as hope-filled people. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.